welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode features a guy in his 30s and a guy who is almost 30 talking about a bunch of teens, as I'm joined by Joey Madison of the new website Awards Radar to talk about both Banana Split and All Together Now. Joey, thanks for joining. Way to make me sound like a creep. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I'm right there with you. But look, people that are our age are allowed to enjoy movies of this genre as well. First, we're going to talk about Banana Split, uh, which is uh, released earlier this year, but recently came to Netflix. It's directed by Benjamin Kasulk. Is that how you pronounce it, Joey? Uh, Kasulki? I'm not sure. Okay. Honestly, he's not the focus of our praise. Right, right, right. Apologies to Benjamin Kasulk or Kasulki. Okay. Uh, but it's more importantly written by Hannah Marks and Joey Power and stars Hannah Marks as... April, who the character who in the summer before going off to college, breaks up with their first and only boyfriend, Nick, who is played by Dylan Sprouse. He then starts dating a new girl in town, Clara, and April ends up striking up an unlikely friendship with her. And that's just enough of a setup right there to give you a whole movie. And that's what this movie basically is. This movie just recently kind of got on Netflix. It kind of got a small release, like kind of right around the beginning of COVID. I would not have known about it if it wasn't for Joey talking about it last time he came on the podcast. And I thought it'd be a good movie to actually give a little more attention to because, you know, I know people start watching all this stuff uh, once it pops up on Netflix. And Joey, I guess where I want to start with you on this is that I, as someone that followed your work for a little while before you you started uh, being nice enough to start joining us for these podcasts, I, I feel like I have a decent grasp of certain kind of genres of movies you're into but uh and i know you really enjoyed this one but my question is is this a genre high school kind of comedy maybe even more specifically female-centric high school comedy that is something that you're usually really into because it is really kind of right up my alley and i'm kind of curious because i know this movie really worked for you but is this normally something that like uh you're generally into movies of this type i mean sure when done well mean Mm -hmm. girl fantastic and I think a lot of times the problem is there's crossover between the, like, teen high school genre, for lack of a better word, and, like, YA-type stuff. And I I sort of don't love YA, with some exceptions. I I really do like—I love The Fault in Our Stars, and honestly, someone like Brett Haley, who we'll discuss later, like, has been taking YA-centric fare and and doing a good job. I think it just depends on who makes it. So for me— if it's YA, Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber did The Fault in Our Stars and The Spectacular Now. That made that made the difference. Fred Haley doing his recent movies, that makes a difference. Here, I mean, the the story itself is is unremarkable. It's not a it's not a story that you, you know, a high concept or anything like that. It's the dialogue and it's the performances. So like in this case, Hannah Marks makes the difference in the same way that Tina Fey made the difference with Mean Girls. You can watch that movie with largely the same cast and it could have landed flat. And I think that's sort of how people thought of Mean Girls before it came out. Like the lead up, it wasn't, oh, we're about to watch a, a, you know, a a teen classic in the making. It was, all right, I mean, sure, we'll give it a shot. Like, you know, nothing screamed, you need to see it. You know, the, you know, especially who was in the lead. Like that was a, you know, if anything, a negative. Whereas here, you know, the trailer was good, but like nothing about it in terms of promotion suggested this is going to be one of my favorite movies of the year. I just happened to stand and watch it. And five, 10 minutes in, I I noticed like, Oh, I love this movie. And there's a, there's a line about 15 or 20 minutes in when, when Hannah Marks, character is about to start talking to what will become one of her best friends. She just comments on it. Like she says something, I'm I'm not going to phrase it because it's also wildly dirty, but she's like, Oh, what am I going to say to this girl when I go up to her? And she says a line of dialogue that's, 
so dirty, but also so funny and so accurate to the way people think that I was like, holy shit, who wrote this movie? And then when I realized she wrote it too, I, my, my ears perked up and it just, from there on, it became this phenomenal movie. Okay, I'm, I'm now, I mean, look, you're allowed to be as dirty as you want. We have the explicit tag on iTunes, but I'll say that what really kind of one moment, because I rewatched it again today. It had been a few weeks since I watched it, but like I, I wanted to kind of refresh myself before we did this. And I, I think one line that struck me that I did enjoy on the first viewing was uh, when Clara and April like are, are having their first interaction basically at this house party in this random bedroom. And uh, the, the excuse that Clara goes in to talk to her is to say something about her keys, which uh, – understandably April's like very confused by it. she's like why are you talking to me about your keys she's like I don't know it was just an icebreaker and she says just with like totally straightforward deadpan it's still icy as fuck in here and I yeah. was like oh wow that 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 was the moment where I'm like oh wait wow I've, I've forgotten just like how well written this thing was even though I saw it like three weeks ago and that's a testament to both like Hannah Marks's writing and and her acting but I, that that line just like really really got me and I guess I'll I'll say I you kind of mentioned it being like a like not a high concept and and I, I certainly agree with that but like those concepts like really work for me and in a way this was kind of the m- movie that i thought the edge of 17 was going to be the first time i heard like the log line for it and uh, edge of 17 is one of my 10 favorite movies of the last 10 years probably but at the same time it, i thought that was going to be a movie when i heard like girl is sleeping girl is one girl is sleeping with another girl's bro- two best friends one starts sleeping with the other's brother and i thought that movie was going to be an all-out war between the two girls or something like that or is this going to be like very focused on the two of them it's more of a movie about one girl against the entire world and here i thought okay well this is really cool because this is like actually is like super focused in on these two girls not that they're at war or anything but they certainly have like something that's left unsaid between two two of them for most of the movie that can is kind of in a way could be a ticking time bomb you don't really know and i really enjoyed that but at the same time i liked how focused it was on them uh i don't remember were you a fan of 2018's never going back yeah i mean i liked it i uh i thought it was close to being great like it Mm -hmm. it, so i i wish there were more female-centric comedies that got dirty that weren't Mm -hmm. afraid to be raunchy that sort of looked at, like, the Kevin Smith, Judd Apatow, like, way of doing things. Like, well, we can do that, too. And and turns out, you know, Apatow has made those since then. But, you know, for a while, the only example was really, like, The Sweetest Thing, which is a terrible movie. Uh, And, you know, you you should be able to say a movie's bad, even though it's doing something that you appreciate the attempt of. Never Going Back was a good step in that direction. I think this is more successful. And the irony was I, I went into this one sort of through a side door. Like, I honestly didn't really know about Hannah Marks. I now know that like, you know, she's been writing and, and acting and directing. Like, this is not a new thing for her, but Leanna Liberato was sort of the one that intrigued me. Cause she's a really talented actress who is almost never well utilized. Like hmm. she's great. Stuck in love. That's when I think I first noticed her. Yeah. And she up a lot, but she's often like one level down from where you would want her. Like she's, fourth lead when she should be third she's like shows up in two scenes when she should be featured so it's also you know i came to find the movie because of her being oh wait she is like one of the stars and also just when you watch it you realize oh oh wait you can you can give characters like vibrant parts for these actresses to play and it really comes off in a way that you don't see when the entirety of the plot is like oh let's be dirty never going back wasn't that way but it also was like the formula was really clear to see like, Oh, something's going to happen. Bad thing needs to happen. 
next scene. Like it was almost more like montage, a montage, or like a set pieces. This is much more of a natural we'll see what happens kind of thing. I would agree with that. The other thing I was going to say about never going back is that like, yeah, I really like that setup for a movie. I like those, I like those actresses. I thought it just ended up being there. There was like way too much of those, quite frankly, male characters in the movie that I really yeah. had no interest in. And I'm in general, like a, a big Kyle Mooney fan in most of the time, but him and like a couple of the other guys that show up, it just, they just weren't, they really weren't doing it for me. And it just felt like they got way too much screen time. And I don't remember the runtime of never going back off the top of my head. It's probably 20 minutes longer than this movie. And I feel like this movie, which is only about 80 minutes really gives these girls just as much, if not more to do than never going back does. And like you said, it probably just flows a little bit better as a story. Whereas like, you know, Oh, it's like, these girls are going to have one terrible thing happen and they're going to have to get over it. Whereas here it's like, you really don't know how this one's going to end. It's uh, like how this weird triangle is going to resolve itself. I take that back. You don't, actually necessarily see it ending with them not being friends but you don't really know how the rest of what is going on around them is going to really resolve itself and it's a really fun ride uh you want to laugh sure uh never going back is three minutes shorter than banana split oh really yeah 85 to 88 minutes well that's probably why it is a problem then that gives those male characters that big of a uh uh that that much screen time when you already have two really good female performers there i don't maybe it just felt longer because i remembered that in my head i haven't rewatched that movie in almost two years uh ops when when uh when like the male like there are scenes that just they grind to a halt because there's a joke they're hammering into the ground banana split is all scenes based on conversations or you know just the natural flow of a friendship there's no set piece per se definitely and i think it's there's also just the natural hook of like just the conceit of this movie and on top of just the oh they're friends and one's dating someone else's ex or 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 something like that it's also just the fact that uh i I mean you might have known this through your uh female friends throughout your life but one thing you just know from being around women is like they can become friends so much quicker than guys can come become best friends with each other and they can also stop becoming friends like yeah. way quicker than guys can and it's i mean it's something i've observed in my personal life um numerous occasions and it's just kind of funny to see how you know like literally like overnight girls can just become they can become besties i think besties was actually the original working title of edge of 17 ironically uh yeah. but they uh that, that it's just how it can be and it's kind of funny to see that uh see that phenomenon put on screen but also like is some guy enough to come between some kind of attraction that's strong where you know like female friendships can burn really hot and really fast and can can, uh, can just some guy that one of them feels really strongly about and the other one you're really not kind of sure exactly how much he means to her and is that is that enough to kind of like break these two up and you like their performances and you like their chemistry so much that you're you're happy to watch and find out and also i think just to, though to get over that initial like uh the the initial premise of the movie like the two actresses have to have really good chemistry because again it's it, it is just kind of like a fact of life like you're obvi- you're often not going to become really close friends with like someone that's dating an ex i've actually anecdotally heard a lot before of um hey we both found out this guy was cheating on us and then we became friends like that's a thing i've kind of heard as like a something that happens before but never like oh i'm gonna be friends with a person that is currently dating my ex like is this not a thing that really actually happens it's a thing that can happen in a movie but to actually buy that it's a thing that happened in a movie you have to really buy that those two people would like each other and i certainly do it it, it happened to me oh really <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> not gonna make you talk too much about your personal life but that is funny my, my first girlfriend i then she then years a year or two later set me up with her best friend after we'd broken up. Oh, yeah, neither worked out, but you know, 
Uh, well, treat your exes but, nicely. You never know what they'll do for you. Well, we, we try. Yeah, <laughs> something about this movie, just watching their interactions, and you see it, um, the scene where they're at, like, lunch with, um, the, ben. with Ben, who's sort of, he's, he's Nick, the, the boyfriend's, like, best friend, but he's also April's friend, so he's kind of, he spends the whole movie stuck in the middle, and like, guys, I don't want to be- and, and Clara's friend from, like, growing up, like, he just happens yeah. to be friends with everyone. He's sort of stuck with everyone, being like, I don't want to be in any of the situations you're putting me in, but he sort of, at one point, threatens, like, I'm just gonna- she's gonna tell nick like i don't want to be involved this anymore and they threaten him and it's just so funny because they follow it up by like feeding each other their birth control pills mm-hmm. like it's there's something about their interactions where you're like one i buy this i 100 percent buy this relationship and two i've never seen this relationship before right. at least this way in a movie like this and i am dying to know what happens next i i naturally thought of never going back because i i, I just thought it was um I, 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 it just seemed like a little bit more, I don't know, it seemed a little bit more a piece with this movie, but I, I, one of my, I think Booksmart was one of my five favorites last year, and I thought those actresses had really good chemistry, but this this felt distinct from that. I would agree with you, even though we've kind of seen, there, there are other movies about female friendship, like you said, for a while there wasn't, it's been happening a little more recently, but this certainly felt unique, even to someone that really liked Booksmart last year, which was also about people with, like that are about the same age. There's only a few and it becomes, oh, you want to watch a movie that's dirty, that stars women, that's a comedy? We have two options. And, like, that's the opposite. Like, we, you know, there are literally decades of film about men doing the same thing. So it's ridiculous that for the longest time it was, you could watch The Sweetest Thing or, oh, you could watch Sex in the City, the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting that you mentioned the, the character of Ben because I, on my first viewing, he kind of annoyed me a little bit. He's just there yelling at them the whole time. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. You think it's a bad idea. But I think that for my second viewing of the movie, I probably like connected with it even more because I just wasn't thinking on the first viewing about how I've actually, I don't want to say I haven't been in his direct situation before. But I have been in a situation where, like, friends that I was independently friends with, like, then started dating, and it maybe didn't work out, and then that just puts you, like, in a, in a weird spot. And I just kind of, for some reason, I just wasn't thinking about when that had happened to me before the first time. So then watching it again, I'm like, oh, I can kind of see where this guy's coming from. I mean, it's convenient for the purposes of the plot that, like, he is friends with all these people, but, like, it could, it probably already put him in a weird situation when, uh, when April broke up with, when April broke up with Nick. And now it's like, now it's like even the whole little circle is getting more incestuous and it's like you don't really know when friends break up like who you're going to stay closer with and there's a possibility that like he loses all of his friends and it's not even just that he's worried for them and i was thinking about that the whole time like oh wow this is actually like a a pretty important character to have because that kind of collateral damage is real well he's he's the reminder of the plot Mm -hmm. and honestly that's not always what you want to be seeing, you know, you, especially in this movie, the first time you watch it, you're just sort of so endeared by the, the, the friendship that you want to see that progress and, and anything else is kind of secondary. So there's, there's something about his interactions with them where he always kind of threatens to, to have them confront the situation that you, you, you don't, you don't care as much about that aspect because you don't care about that. Like that's not what you want to see happen. But at a certain point it's, it's essential because you also need to have a resolution. Otherwise the movie just becomes, you know, an infinite second act of adorable things happening, which is great, but you do need to come to a resolution at some point. So that's where, you know, 
he he and his sort of angle becomes more important. Yeah, I do like also that he kind of eventually loses the moral high ground also though cuz yeah. he 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 tries to he tries to make a move on April so he can't even really pretend he's being better than the rest of them. Uh so I I, which I, I all things considered, like by the end, like it doesn't really go that bad for him. No, you know? no, I'm glad. I'm glad it works out. But I also kind of, I will talk about the ending. But I, I kind of, I, I really, I, well, that's one of my favorite things is kind of the way the movie ties itself up. But before I even get there, I do want to ask you what you thought, what you thought of uh, Dylan Sprouse as Nick, because I mean, he's kind of like a, I mean, he's obviously not in the movie as much as the the girls, or he, I don't, maybe even not as much as Ben, but he's. Uh, like in a really important figure because that's the thing that kind of brings them together and it's kind of hovering over their entire friendship. Uh, what did you think of him as just like a presence in this movie and if you bought him as like a, a guy that both of these girls – that would mean something to both of these girls? I, w- I, I liked him. I mean I know him you know, as, as a kid, the kid from Big Daddy. I know he's been in other things but not really on my radar a ton since then. But, but yeah, I think he, he sort of – the way he looks and the way he's sort of initially presented is a specific way. Like he's sort of leaning into a generic character, but very sort of quickly they, they move away from that. And he has layers like anyone else in this. And it, I was, I was surprisingly delighted by what he did. Like I, which I think a lot has to do with his, with the writing, you know, he's written, he's had, he has a good character written for him and he does a good job with it. So, you know, credit to him, but, it kind of comes back to what makes me like the film so much is Hannah Marks's voice. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this voice that you see here is really, really fully formed and unique and, and taking a story that, you know, could be, could be done in a sort of half hearted manner. And, you know, you wears thin quickly and becomes like, captivating and, and incredibly endearing yeah i like that she's smart enough not to make him like a total like when you have a guy that looks like that with that kind of hair there's got to be some kind of possible inclination to just make him seem like a total like stoner or a total bro or just a total fuck boy and he's definitely none of those things and i think he certainly rises to the occasion but it's like you said it's like a it's a well thought out part where he is more thoughtful and kind and Quite simply put, the movie doesn't really have a bad guy, and no, a, I think that's smart. It's a it's it's rare, you know. This uh, there's another example of 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 Hannah Marks. Like this movie in lesser hands is crying out for, you know, uh, and another girl like an ex to like spoil the things, or Ben to end up ruining things, or the boyfriend end up being a dick. Like there's there's something about these stories that they always kind of want to do that with, and and she doesn't have any interest in that she trusts the characters to all be flawed and and good people and and to sort of handle the situation in a large largely realistic way you know very little happens in this movie that you that you don't buy like she has a complicated relationship with the situation she leans she leans into it she trusts the the quality of her writing and the performances. I, I like. I, I kind of like what you said about how she just kind of finds herself in it. Just finds herself in a situation that she ends up leaning into. I mean, at the end, you know, like their their conflict kind of comes to a little bit of a head, and you know, Claire is kind of like accusing her of, um, you know, you just wanted to try and use me to like get back to Nick all along. And I, I mean, obviously they're kind of lashing out at each other at that point. What do you think her character's goal was initially? I think it was – I obviously don't think it's that. I think those characters are lashing out at that point. I think it's more just like 
she, she was in need of a friend at a certain point, and Clara was probably more in need of a friend than she was of a boyfriend. I think that's ultimately what kind of brings them together. And what, as we've already said, is maybe not the most, uh, maybe the maybe not the most realistic uh, occurrence as far as how two people might become friends. But you certainly buy it just because of where these two characters seem to be in life. Oh yeah, no, I don't think anyone in the movie like had a goal, sinister motivation. Yeah, like they're the way they come together in the first scene is sort of a natural unexpected occurrence same way the breakup is the same way the next relationship the same way the friends like everything about it is sort of oh this this just sort of happened and we work our way through it and i i appreciate that as opposed to you know really needing the plot to signal what the character should do the characters sort of signal what the plot should do yeah for a girl that's as uh that's as seemingly cool as clara and looks like her it seems like it would probably almost be harder to find a genuine friend than it would be to find a guy to hook up with and i so i, I kind of bought it that like who knows why i mean who knows exactly what her expectation was going to be when she walks into that bedroom but i ter- i totally buy that within a few seconds you can get a feel for someone if it might be the kind of person you might like just based on their disposition and i was able to just kind of accept that and run for- and run with it from there and uh again like i think you already kind of mentioned uh, any the conflict that does eventually kind of erupt it, it doesn't feel like it's something that's just like thrown in there because oh we need to have a conflict it, it kind of makes sense that at that point in the movie that like something like even as simple as a high school party could really kind of set someone off in a way, you know, I mean, like it's like one of her last high school parties and she's really just going to like not go to it because of, because like this one girl is like dating a guy that she used to date. Like I could kind of see how that would make you feel lonely when you're about to leave for college on the other side of the country. And I have, I sometimes struggle in teen movies and I, I'm going to talk about this a little bit with all together now, which, which, which I did like, but I had some problems with, but I sometimes struggle with teen movies where I, I, I struggle with how how much to really criticize them for not acting rationally because like yeah. te- teenagers are dumb, but at the same time I often like want my movie characters to be smart and make understandable decisions. But here I didn't really have any problem like understanding where anyone was coming from, and at the same time there was drama and there was suspense, and I and I didn't really think anyone really just did something just for the sake of the plot, and I really appreciated that. And I mean we keep coming back to praising the writing, but I, I, I guess that's really what it comes down to. So. Oh yeah, no, it's it's easily one of the best screenplays of the year. As far as this other stuff that I really got a kick out of, I again, I think this is also a combination of like writing and acting. But uh, I like the scenes with her family, and yeah. sometimes precocious kids can rub me the wrong way in movies. And I guess one way to like have it, the precocious kid not rub me the wrong way, is just to have the precocious precocious kid have the dirtiest mouth in the movie. And I and I and I, oh. and I really I really got a kick out of her little, little sister. What did you think of those scenes with her with her mom and sister? Because that felt pretty. Un- that also felt like something I hadn't ever seen before. Like that that particular family. For, for sure, same. The the dynamic um, sets it apart. Like those scenes often are ones that I don't love or need. Like the. Um, the recent remake of uh, Valley Girl, which is kind of a sequel also. It's weird. Um, it's not a bad movie, but there's a couple of scenes with her and her parents, and, and they're just not necessary. Like, there's a lot of scenes that are that are not necessary. I mean, by the time people are listening to this, Charlie Kaufman's movie, I'm thinking of ending things will be out. And that's a series of scenes that don't necessarily need to be in a movie. So there's, <laughs> you know, you just need to find a way to make something a little different. And and that's the thing about every scene in this movie. Every, every scene in this movie plays out a little different than you would expect. Yeah. And I guess 
I guess it was the right amount of the family too, because again, we don't, I already talked about how I didn't really like the, or how I did like the runtime and you know, some movie, even if the mom's a good actress, some movie might feel the need to like have there be some big emotional scene where the mom talks some sense into her. It doesn't involve them. Like it does a really good right. job of, of knowing that this is a story about a teenage girl and her friend mm-hmm. and her boy who is now her ex-boyfriend and the relationship the three of them have. And it spans out from that. And, and her mom and her little sister are really not a part of that. Like, not that they're not a part of her life, but the thing that's her focus right now is this particular situation and her family is not really involved in that. So they're, they're not shoehorned in when they don't need to be. Well, I'm thinking about something like, I think most people like agree that some of the better movie parents of this genre are like the movie parents in easy a or something like that. And yeah, but there's a version of that movie where you don't need the parents, but parents like they don't feel out of place either. And they have some pretty meaningful scenes and they, and they equip themselves very well, both the acting and the characters themselves. They, they're very, they're, they're, they're just great parents, but like not every kid has like great, helpful parents in a movie. Like sometimes like you you just don't have that kind of relationship with your parent, but they are certainly around. And I kind of, I kind of liked the exact amount that this mom was around to come through and like say dirty stuff and like put up with her kids, like just totally like tearing each other apart. And I, I, I thought, I thought the mom was a nice presence, but not every movie parent needs to be there to give the perfect speech at the perfect time. And I just, but like, I, I also never felt like I wanted to necessarily be somewhere else when we're, as much as I enjoyed watching our, the two lead actresses interact, I didn't like, I wasn't trying to get away from her mom and sister when we were there. Cause I was like, all right, well that was fun. Now we can go to the next thing. And I really enjoyed my time with him. <laughs> well, that's, that's what a good writer does. Yeah. That's, you know, we don't need these characters. They're superfluous by nature of the story we're telling. So if we're going to have them, what can they contribute? And like an easy a, it was, Oh, the parents are, are bizarre and they're, and they're weird and they inform why she would be a little different. Mm-hmm. Cause every scene with, especially Stanley Tucci, you're just like, oh my God, like it's, <laughs> there's a completely different movie, but it's right for that movie. Like, I'll never forget him. Like the way he talks to like his adopted son that like, well, who are you again? You know, just like the little, like these little eccentricities that were really enjoyable and gave you a momentary laugh that wasn't connected to the plot. That's great. And here it's, it's similar, but it's different, but it's the same situation of, they don't need to be connected to the A plot and they don't need their own B plot, but they can just be, you know, the cherry on top. They can be, you know, bacon bits in your salad per se. Right. It makes it good even better. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll say is that I really like the end and I don't even really know if you have to necessarily spoil the end, but just to say like, cause I already said that they kind of still end up being friends, which I don't think is a shocker if you're going into a movie like this, once you find yeah. out what it's about. But I think it's, I think it's really smart in how it ends and that not everyone ends up being necessarily, uh, it's not like the, not like the, the, all four of those characters all end up being like close friends together forever. Uh, without without saying much more and I think that's pretty smart and realistic and there's like a way in which hey maybe they try and make it seem like oh they're just going to be some big gang that always hangs out when they're back in town and it doesn't leave on like that 100% of a happy note and I and I appreciated that the fi- the final scene where like the two of them come back together that's really good but like you know not all of them are going to like really end up just being a crew and I and for a second I thought hey maybe it's headed that way and it it doesn't and I kind of respect that it, it it kind of leaves it kind of like open-ended and not like a totally kumbaya type of thing. And I thought that was a really, I thought, I thought that was a good direction for it to go in. Yeah. It ends realistically. And mm-hmm. I appreciate it. I, it, it knows when to end. It, 
everything about it is 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 just rock solid and and creative and and appropriate like age appropriate like it's everything about it fits for the story that she was trying to tell and and succeeded in doing so wildly yeah any other final thoughts joey before we move on see this movie yeah, it's easy. It's really easy now to see it because it's on Netflix. So I hope a lot of people discover it. Um, and and I'll just say, like, I, I just again, it's super well done. And for a movie that's like only an hour and twenty minutes, I think it's like just very well paced and smart about how it allots its time. You know, that's the other thing is that like I think a lot of times in just movies of any genre, like they don't really. Sometimes a big problem I have is even ones with like longer run times don't really like take the time to just settle into like the period in which like everything's going well, you know, whether it be like a superhero movie or even a romantic comedy, like, you know, you want to, whether it be to take the time to show them being happy in the relationship or take the time to show the superhero, like doing his superhero things before the conflict really starts. Like sometimes it just kind of rushes through that part. And like, I think it actually spends like a good amount of time with just these two girls hanging out to each together. So you really like understand why, they, why their relationship would be strong enough to kind of overcome this thing that's kind of between them. And it's just really smart in how it handles all that. And that was, I was just really impressed with how like a, an hour and 23 minute movie or whatever we said it was like, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's lacking anything. And I think that's like a really impressive thing to do. Um, sure. But yeah, well now, now we're going to talk about another Netflix movie. That's all together. Now it is the newest movie from filmmaker, Brett Haley, a guy that uh, Joey and I just talked about six months ago. Cause he had another Netflix movie, all the bright places that basically got released like right at the time that like the coronavirus was just kind of taking off, like beginning of March, I think it was. Uh, when we talked about him, so he's had he's had, he's had a busy year, and I if I Joey did an interview recently where I learned he finished the movie like in quarantine, so that's just kind of shows you the timeline they were working on with this. They got it done in time to do all the finishing touches when no one else had anything else to do. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it tells the story of a girl named Amber that is played by uh, God. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna mess up her name, Ali Cravalo, and uh, who she's on the TV show Rise, but pe- most people at least know her voice from Moana. But this is kind of like her first big uh, uh, movie, and she plays a girl named Amber that is uh, very happy in school and has a great group of friends, is kind of into singing, wants to go to Carnegie Mellon to pursue the arts, and uh, and everything kind of seems good on the surface at school, but she is also hiding something from just about everyone at school and hiding a couple things, one being that she is homeless and living with her mom on the school bus, and two, that she is just has a very difficult home life beyond that where her dad died when she was younger and her mom has gotten involved with some other guys that aren't so great and they are struggling with for money but also just struggling to kind of keep their family together and uh, amber has to kind of navigate just school and applying to college while trying to figure out how to not let her home life hold her back and not let her mom hold her back as she has uh ongoing conflicts with her and that is basically what the movie's about and it's funny joey because before i before we did the last before we talked about all the bright places i had primarily thought of brett haley as someone just that makes movies about adults and i really liked all of those movies uh since the last time we talked i watched his debut feature the new year uh which i really enjoyed it and i think i enjoyed it for more than just the fact that i was able to look at basically my, where i grew up because he filmed it in pensacola and um which is where i'm from and I, that's also a movie about adults, and so is The Hero, and so is uh, I'll See You In My Dreams, and Hearts Beat Loud. I mean, obviously, it's kind of about a young person, but also about an older person at the same time. So uh, oh, this is a second straight movie where he's talking about people of this age. And, th- and that being said, he didn't write All the Bright Places. He wrote this, and 
I guess that's my long way of saying. Uh, I think it, because he has a little bit more, maybe uh, has the aesthetic of some of these other younger people in Netflix movies, and uh, it might just be about young people. But at the same time, I think it feels like a Brett Haley movie. Would you agree with that? Yes, which is interesting because it's not something he developed. Like he came on to this movie. The movie had um, several people attached to it. Um, really. Uh, yes. Uh, so I know that old Parker was going to write it initially, and that's not super promising. Uh, that's the filmmaker behind Imagine Me and You, um, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel in the oh. sequel, uh, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Like, not movies I care for. The <laughs> uh, Thandie Newton, though, so good for him. Um, hmm. And then I believe he was writing it when Miguel um, Arteta was going to direct it, who... Um, Chuck and Buck, The Good Girl, Youth and Revolt, Cedar Rapids, Beatrice at Dinner, Like a Boss. Like, uh, Miguel Arteta makes movies that you think should be better than they turn out. Hmm. Like, you always go like, oh, I think I'm going to love that movie. And you watch and go, it was all right. And then Bryce Dallas Howard was going to direct it at one point. Wow, it's had, uh, a, it's had a long journey to the screen. Yeah, so she, and this is all fairly recently. So I just sort of struggled to find a director. Brent Haley comes on, um, rewrites the screenplay. Which um, the direct, the author Matthew Quick, I think, um, had at least the very first draft of. Should say it's based on a book by him called "Sort of Like a Rockstar." I forgot to mention that. But uh, he's known for uh, Silver Linings Playbook. That's his book. Um, oh. Brett Haley and Mark Bash, who wrote "The Hero," "I'll See You in My Dreams," and uh, "Hearts Beat Loud." So, yeah, he kind of formulated it into something that resembles his work, and I think it does resemble his work mainly because they all act like characters in his movies for the most part. You know, his movies are not plot heavy. His movies are not necessarily hard to describe. They're, they're mostly about observing characters in situations reminiscent of real life. And they largely act like people do in real life. And, you know, there's slight differences here. And, you know, there's, there's constricted timelines because things have to happen in 90 minutes or whatever. But for the most part, everything that happens in this movie and in any movie he makes is fairly realistic and uh, and mostly relatable. Like you may not agree with the choices, but you always go, yeah, yeah, I can see someone doing that. Yeah, I like that you said that the uh, <laughs> that, that that the plot is kind of secondary to his movies, and it's more about what the characters are doing. Because I kind of felt myself at a loss when I when I when I first started this section of the podcast, I was like. But yeah, that's just pretty much the movie. She's trying to make it through the school year. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I normally start out by like giving a bit of a plot synopsis. I was like, yeah, there's not really much else to say, but like you get to watch well, these people do their things and act like real people, and that's what Brett Haley does. Yeah, well, look at his look at all of his movies. You know, we'll leave out the New Year because most people haven't seen it. But like, yeah. what's I'll see you in my dreams about? It's about an older woman and sort of the relationship she has. You know, some new ones, some old ones, and like a couple of dudes who she's interested in, who's old and young. Like, there's no real plot there. The hero's about um, an older dude. <laughs> the hero's about an old guy who used to be a movie star and is sort of facing the void, like the infinite abyss, mm-hmm. you know? That Hearts Be Loud is about a father and daughter who start a band while he's worried about her leaving for college. That's it. Like, all together now, it's about two kids who are troubled who who find a bond together while their troubles oh, are still around. All the bright places. Yeah, everything is Wait. one. You know, you can do the one-sentence elevator pitch of mm-hmm. all of his movies. At the, that's a that's an interesting shorthand and not a not an unintentional choice. I don't think I, I mentioned it to him when we we spoke and uh, he didn't disagree. I don't know that anyone sets out to do that, but I think he's attracted 
to the same things that I think people who like his movies are appreciative of. It's more about the dialogue and the conversations. And, and, you know, he's someone who appreciates original songs in movies. Like that's, you know, you don't see that anymore. He, he sort of makes a movie from an earlier time. So what did you connect with about in altogether now? Cause I mean, again, as, as we joke to be in the, this movie, like we're, we're older guys and this is a movie about this, a girl that's going through some troubles. Uh, what, what, what about this story really worked for you that like allowed you to feel really engaged? I think it was just watching how it unfolds. And mm-hmm. then once quickly, cause I actually went in not knowing anything about it. Oh. I had a trailer. I knew he made it and I was going to be speaking with him. So I went completely blind, you know, trusting in, in the filmmaker, honestly. So I, I honestly thought it was going to be like kids starting a band or something like that. So yeah, that's what I kind of expected too. Like, I, I feel yeah. like I'd seen like a poster or I saw like someone yeah. maybe holding a musical instrument. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I trust Brett Haley when it comes to music stuff. Like I'll do this. And that's what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I think in like the poster image or something like that, I think it was still called sort of like a rock star at the time. And that was, that was all I knew. And when you see her like doing her thing at the first scene or so, it makes sense for that. And then when you realize, Oh wait, she's homeless. Oh, okay. What's going on here. And then as the plot, again, not much of a plot, but, but expands you, you sort of stay with that. And I think it's just interesting to watch, uh, a younger character not ask for help, you know, because that's we all sort of there's so many movies that we've seen um, where you see someone's life kind of going down the toilet. And if they just like stopped and was like, hey, can I can I get a hand? You know, their life would be fixed, not fixed necessarily. But, you know, the the drama of the narrative will be over. And this is a you know, a lot of times you have like that middle aged man who's too, pr- too proud. You know, you 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 sort of you can envision that guy like. Oh, I, I won't ask for help. And this is a teenage girl who who gives everything to other people, not, you know, for at least half the movie, if not more, not telling anyone this is her situation. Though there's enough little things that I feel like some of the characters are aware of her situation. She definitely tries to hide it. Everything's hunky-dory. But, for example, the um, the relationship she has with Joan, um, this woman in a, in a nursing home or, or I guess a retirement home. Yeah, played by Carol Burnett. Yeah, which is wild. That well, Carol it's Burnett. like sort of a flex to just get Carol Burnett in your movie. Yeah, like, I don't blame him. It's the same like, <laughs> funny story is when I asked him, I moderated Q&As for the hero when yeah. it opened. And I, my first question was like, well, what made you want to make this movie? And he went, I want to make a movie starring Sam Elliott. Like, we never seen not even a movie starring Sam Elliott anymore. I want to do that. So I'm sure, like, wait, I can get Carol Burnett for this role? Done. Right. But like she, in in the first interaction with her, she asked like, "You don't mind if I use her, your shower?" And it's clear she does that. So whether whether Joan is aware of the situation or just infers like, "Oh, she doesn't get a chance to shout." Whatever. There's little hints that that people have of something's off in her life, and I, I if she would ask for help, I would give it. But yeah, and then she goes to like her friend's house every morning. And, yeah. you know, the mom, like, you know, gives her makeup at one point. So she obviously kind of has a feeling about something and, like, why is she at their house every single morning? You know, it's like they probably know, but they probably just don't know the full extent of everything. Yeah. And, like, you know, there's – they all – they they the movie explains here and there, like, you know, her, her mom drives a, a school bus and they live in the school bus at night in, like, the bus park. Her dad is not in the picture anymore. I believe he died. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of an unexpected illness, possibly was an expensive one. Like, it's clear that, like, since then, 
they've they've struggled. Her mom like drinks a little bit more than she should, has a boyfriend who's not super great. Like there's enough like little things brewing that all together, all together now, ah, mm-hmm. uh, are are sort of conspiring to make life a little more difficult for them. Like they're they're getting by, but they're not. They're, you know they're looking for cheap apartments. Like there's a sense that like they're they're just like an inch away from where they need to be. It reminds me of, I don't know if people are familiar with the West Wing, but there's a, there's an episode of the West Wing where Josh and Toby are on the road to like for the reelection of, of President Bartlett. Hmm. And they stop at a bar and they end up talking to this regular guy. And the regular guy talks about his going to college and like he's struggling, he's figuring out how to pay for it and, and says something along the lines of like sending your daughter to college, taking care of your kid. That's, you know, it's a man's job. It's great. Like it's hard. It's it's supposed to be hard. I like that it's hard. But he just pauses and goes, "But it should be a little bit easier. Just a little bit easier." And like that's um, that's what this movie's kind of about. Like it's no, it's okay that life is hard. But like you watch what Amber is doing in the movie, and if it was just a little bit easier, she'd be fine. Like she's not the the thin line of where she is to where her friends are are is is razor thin but that makes all the difference and it should be easier but like you mentioned she doesn't exactly make it any easier on herself and i like the point you made about that being a thing we it feels like we've seen in the movie so many times before where it's like just a guy being like so stubborn he won't accept help i mean that's if he just accepts help in the third episode of the series then there is no breaking bad you know if walter white just is like sure i'll i'll take the money for my cancer treatment like then you don't have a show so like there's a there's 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 a lot there where it's like men just won't take help and so it's interesting where it's like a 17 year old girl won't take help and that's honestly where i i went back and forth on the movie a little bit because on the one hand it kind of totally makes sense because like who wants to be if you're just like a high school kid you don't want to be seen at high school as like the charity case like yeah. you understand that impulse at the same time i it, the movie maybe almost loses me when she's like i'm gonna drop out of school and, and rather than rather than accept help it's like okay maybe you shouldn't throw your life away and i kind of knew like all right like the movie's lost a little bit of suspense for me because i know she's not ultimately gonna throw her life away like you know and i, I was like i, I kind of know exactly where this is headed now that she's made such a bold statement about what she's going to do i know the exact opposite is what's going to happen but at the same time like i kind of understand her decisions up until a point so it's not like the characters being completely uh it's not like you can't follow the logic behind that character throughout the whole movie it's just like she almost went a little too far for me to really kind of take her seriously towards the end the movie does stay consistent with the she's not going to ask for help mm-hmm. and they, you, know, you might argue they laid on a little a little thick because when she so she's uh going to get, a, hopefully, a scholarship to Carnegie Mellon. She has an audition. And uh, Fred Armisen is her teacher and says, like, oh, the school can, like, help pay for the flight. We have a we have a program. But because anything that suggests, you know, charity, she's not interested mm-hmm. in. She's like, I, you have to, you just have to go along with the fact that she won't accept help. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you kind of rub up against that, then you, then you struggle a little bit here because she's going to not accept help at times where a more rational person would. But mm-hmm that's this character they've sort of they do a very good job i think of fleshing out this is a person who can do is of the mindset of you can do this you know you you're not supposed to ask for help you're supposed to you're supposed to work hard you're supposed to do what you need to do and if you need to do more you do more and that's you know it's it's the same thing of like there's no movie in juno if she gets the abortion right there's no knocked up if she gets the abortion like sure that's probably the more realistic and likely take 
you know, that person in that situation probably goes and ends their pregnancy. But you don't have a movie then. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's there's a version of this movie that, that Brett Haley and Mark Bash could have wrote where where she does accept help. And that's how she sort of gets out of her hole. But it's not as dramatically fulfilling. And also, I think that may also be part of the 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 YA ish aspect of it. You know, there you need a little little tragedy to uh, to make the ultimate, you know, happiness of it all ring true. You know, I think a lot of YA movies do need to, like, punish their characters a little bit before they, they let them be free, as a, for lack of a better word. Well, it's funny you brought it back to that because I, I, I kind of enjoyed the little back and forth. Uh, everyone should listen to Joey's interview with Brett Haley. He did on the Hollywood News podcast because uh, you guys had a little bit of a digression about what does YA even mean. Which yeah. I kind of I, I kind of I like thinking about that because I, I when I, when I said at the beginning that like this feels very distinctly like a Brett Haley movie and I like the the, the Weber and Newstatter stuff also uh, spectacular now a little more so than Fault in Our Stars for me at least because yeah. I, I I feel like it's like the Fault in Our Stars almost and I'm. Just, I mean, their hand, I'm sure their hands are tied a little bit by just the, the 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 specific source material and how those characters talk. But like, there are some like epic monologues in Fault in Our Stars where it's like kids don't talk like this really. And a worse, I picked up the book, and oh, it really? was hard to read. So I give them a lot of credit because so like in a scene where where they'd be they were at like a gas station or something, and he starts to get sick, and she calls the hospital like in mm-hmm. the movie. In the movie, she just calls an ambulance, right? And it's like, I'm, I'm at the get. I need, I need an ambulance. Yeah. In the, I, I'm calling from the my the love of my life, you know. <laughs> like there's 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 it's word salad, and uh, so they did a lot of paring down there. But I think so. My thing with, with YA has always been, and mainly with books and movies, have sort of struggled with this. Is I, I it's not that the stories are bad. I, I just don't like when things are restricted. So. I don't need every plot to devolve into a bacchanal orgy, but <laughs> I, I like the fact that if I'm reading a book that's not a YA book, it's a possibility. It's probably not going to happen, but no one feels restrained. Like I, I feel like going into YA anything, unless it's done very well, you sort of have your expectations locked in because they're, you know, nothing particularly sexual will happen. Nothing particularly mature will happen. There's a lesson. Like a lot of these things are baked into the cake. Well, and that's a problem for me. Well, I guess, well, my, my point being, I think, I think altogether now like works better than some other kind of YA things and, and, and doesn't in some other ways in that like my, my point bringing up those other movies that are, you know, the John Green adaptations or whatever is that like I, uh, well, actually, Fault in Our Stars is John Green. I don't know if Spectacular Now is John Green. I think that's someone else. But whatever. I, I just think he, he grounds his characters more uh, maybe than some of those others might do. And the dialogue just feels more realistic and more human. And that's what I do like about Brett Haley. But I, I kind of did feel a little more restricted with Altogether Now than I did by just about any of his other movies. And I think part of it had to do with, like, I kind of just, I, I just kind of knew based on the setup that she was going to end up accepting that help. And I just knew, like, oh, she's going to, like, I make all these wrong decisions about not accepting the help and then she's going to do it. And that's where we're going to be. Whereas well, if you, that's, some that's the book, I'm sure. And also mm-hmm. the nature of the, the project, like for, if you look at the way the, the career sort of has gone, you know, coming up with, I'll see you in my dreams, the hero hearts be loud. Like that's, that's a filmmaker writing his next project, being ready to go. And then from there he had, he had signed on for a couple of things and, and had a couple of projects in the works before coming on to direct all the right places. He just jumped into this, yeah. Yeah, and I think this was probably 
Netflix being happy with all the right places and going here. Even when he did the interview, like he said, they they showed him the script and was like, hey, would you, is this something you'd be interested in? And he he liked it. But I'm sure part of it was you just made a good one for us. Like we're having a little trouble getting this off the ground. Like here's more money than we've probably paid you in the past. Like, would you like to try this? And something he said was he wants to make a lot of different movies. Um, yeah, you know, that was exciting in his interview with you. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to my sci-fi. I was like, oh, what does a Brett Haley yeah. sci-fi movie look like? <laughs> like, I mean, he's he's very good at taking ideas that on the page I'm not super interested in. Like the movies he wrote, I'm all about. But like all the bright places in this one on the surface wouldn't have thrilled me. And like his next movie is summer loving like a sequel to greece like i couldn't care less but he's uh he's making that so i'm intrigued but like, yeah i feel like you wouldn't sign on to that unless you had some like really interesting idea for it you know or of money you never know you know, true uh but yeah i guess i and i don't want to sound too negative because what i will say is it kind of came back around for me it's like i think my personal preference is maybe something where it's just a little more unpredictable and I, i'm totally there with him if he wants to do it if he's attracted to it for whatever reason but like and i and i kind of did know it was going somewhere kind of like dark with all the bright places because it's like i feel like another, that whole movie you feel like something like another shoe's about to drop with the justice smith character uh, but like you don't quite know where it's going either like you know something's gonna happen with him but he's such a he feels like such a wild card through out and it's kind of the same thing with like i mean those other movies like those first those first two of those movies like you know hero and i'll see you with my dreams like they're dealing with like old people you don't exactly know like what they're gonna make it and what this guy's gonna encounter throughout the hero because he's just wandering around doing different stuff and uh hearts be odd like is this girl gonna form a band because it looks like she really could if she wanted to like that could go either way also where it's like i kind of knew where this one was going and i was a little down on it but it actually kind of came back around for me during that talent show where like i think yeah. the, i think the earnestness of it just like it kind of it kind of melted my heart a little bit and it kind of like it, it did break through to me as like kind of down on it as i was starting to get because i was like all right like this is getting kind of predictable seeing that kid just like read a bunch of puns like it kind of it, it made me a little emotional i was like all right like i guess i really did care about these characters that much if like this guy like yeah. making a bunch of puns is really gonna like kind of break me down it knows what the movie that it is and it leans into it and i think it's honestly what it is is it's the best version of this movie that you're gonna get mm-hmm. and uh and also, um, I'll just throw it out there, another really, really great original song. Like, Keegan DeWitt is an underrated composer, writes amazing original songs. Nothing beats the hero, mind you. That The end credit song is is uh, insane. It's, it's, it's one of the best original songs of the decade. Hearts Be Loud are all really good songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is another really good one and um, fits, like, the scene where she sings it um is is an emotional point and then you know yes there's manipulation going on in the movie because it's it's you're you're following a a set path more so than his other films but i think he he disguises it pretty well and and leans into it when he needs to like you you're never like you're never doubting what's going to happen but i think all the moments that pop up you go oh all right yeah that makes sense but i but I, i appreciated that it was done in the way it was like there's never a moment where you're you bash your head and go, Ugh, really? Hmm. I guess I, I I just have an inherent amount of faith in in Brett Haley from whatever whatever else he's already done. Because if this had been like just another director, I probably don't even I probably don't even watch it. Like it's probably like it's probably just like an unfair you know an unfair characterization of just all Netflix movies of a certain ilk that I have in my head. Where it's like I I just need I need someone else I trust to kind of recommend before I to recommend them before I check it out. Because I know there's like a whole level of them 
two rungs below this that are really kind of a dreck, you know, I mean, that yeah. just, uh, that are there just to fill out their library and have people that are actually the age of these characters watch them because they're they're and that's fine for for them if they enjoy it but it's just i i want to spend my time doing other stuff and i i kind of in my head think of all classify all these kind of the same but like i i i think he just um his his touch just makes it something inherently better than like what most of that stuff is and i and i and and i and I found myself pretty charmed and I'll say that. And like, even if, even if maybe I prefer the plots of his other movies, like I, there's, there's just enough here to, you know, it's, it's worth recommending cause you're going to, you're no, you're going to be moved. You're going to find some charming performances and you're, you're ultimately going to, you know, leave feeling happy. So a- any other final thoughts on altogether now, Joey? No, I think, I think if you like YA, you'll really like this. And I think if you don't like YA, it's worth a shot because, Brett Haley's not a YA filmmaker, and I think he he approaches it in a very interesting way. He he leans into the right things and leans away from the wrong things. And and well, I you know I think I like it a little bit more than you. I recognize all of the things that you had issues with. I think it's just maybe it is it is something of when you trust a filmmaker, you're willing to go down a rabbit hole that maybe you won't with someone else. Yeah, and I I'll just say like I'm. I'm probably the same way in that he knows maybe the more stereotypical YA stuff might not work for me as much. And yeah, even though I have my criticisms of this, like he, he's so good at just depicting like the day-to-day, like, you know, mundane things that people have to do to get through life that like that inherently makes it feel like something that sets it apart from like your, whatever you think when you think YA, it's just going to feel a little, it's just going to feel a little bit different. Like you're hanging out with normal people. Uh, even if like, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I might've had my problems with like how the characters, you know, talked in the fault in our stars but like i still like that movie to a certain extent and but it also like it just feels like a different like a heightened version of reality that's a little different from a brett haley movie if that's what you're in the mood for you're gonna get something more grounded um joey before we before we get out of here is there um uh as we kind of discussed last time and you gave us a whole bunch of recommendations for stuff coming out soon but is there is there anything whether it be something coming out soon that you're not embargoed on or just something else you've watched recently that you want to recommend to people that are still cooped up at home and watching stuff so we're sort of in a weird spot right now where there's not a ton new to go wild over i uh like i said or if you just want to talk about something that's old that you've watched recently tv or movie or anything just something else to recommend to folks or it can be something that you think's coming out soon that the people they need to check out i mean in terms of things that are that are out um I, i'll reiterate that never really sometimes always in the way back are phenomenal palm springs is phenomenal um the outpost is really good there's a little tiny uh comedy called crushed which fits really well if you like um banana split it's sort of a raunchy college sex comedy, but it's it's girls, so there's there's a lot there. Um, but no, we're in a weird spot right. I'm sorry, right now where you'd normally be getting a, a switch in the type of movies that are coming out. We don't we don't quite have that. Like uh, I'm thinking of ending things is probably the highest profile like awards bait thing out, and it's it's not quite that. It's it's interesting. I'll put it that way, but. Uh, I don't anticipate it going far. You know, normally it would be Tenet, and it would be, uh, you know, that would be the big deal right now. But by virtue of it, it being risky to leave your house, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell anyone to go necessarily see it. But uh, you know, if you want to watch something, you know, what's a movie I've been thinking about? It's very hard to find. I think you have to buy it on DVD, so it's a terrible movie to recommend. <laughs> uh, the Distinguished Gentleman with Eddie Murphy. Never seen that. It's uh, it has a brilliant concept. It's a fair movie, but the concept alone is just so funny to me. He's a con man in, in Florida, I think, and the local congressman dies, and it's like 
John Jefferson or something like that was the guy's name. Oh, no, Jeff Johnson. <laughs> and his name is Jefferson Johnson or something like that. So he just puts gets himself on the ballot as the dead guy's name and gets elected to Congress. And he's just a con man who's, like, in Congress now. He's like, oh, wait, this is just one giant con going on? Unfortunately, it doesn't feel too unrealistic. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Now you'd be like, "What a quaint idea!" <laughs> so that's something interesting that's to watch. Then if you watch a very unusual documentary, there's one called Boys State. Oh yeah, we we talked about that a couple weeks ago here. Yeah, that's that's really really interesting. Uh, if you like politics, if you're not a political person, I think you'll you'll sort of get lost in the minutia of it all. But if you like politics, watching all of the good and bad of politics play out among like 16, 17 year old boys is is fascinating, especially when it's sort of a microcosm of Texas. So that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, there's to be watching right now. Well, for those of you that are listening to this but didn't listen a couple weeks ago, we had my friend John on to talk about Boy State, who was an alum of Boy State, Virginia, which uh, <laughs> which ended up which took place at Liberty University. So oh he, that's an interesting setting. Uh, it's been in the news lately because of uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. and the shenanigans he's been up to. So he got the got, we got the perspective of uh, of someone that had been to like a, a, a much well actually because it was at Liberty it wasn't as different as different ideologically from Texas as you might expect. But Virginia uh, might be purplish, but Liberty is is pretty bright red. Right. So we got the perspective of someone unique for that. As far as my recommendations, I'll. Um, I actually did watch a lot of stuff over the last week, but I didn't really have much to, I felt like bringing up here aside from the fact that I finally got around after trying to find up for a long time to watching Martin Scorsese's After Hours for the first time, which uh, was just like a, the way I'll put it is that like, it was just the right level of weird for me throughout. Like sometimes movies can just, you know, maybe get too weird for me. And this movie is, it's a movie that's, you know, it's about a guy that like ends up going on a late night date in New York and just has like the worst night ever. But it's like, one weird turn after another and nothing that's too weird for me. And sometimes movies can just get too weird for me. And I'll just say, if you feel like watching just like a hour and a half movie with a guy that ends up in a weird part of New York doing weird stuff, I think after hours is certainly fun to watch Martin Scorsese operate in kind of a, at a different volume than maybe what you think a lot of his films are. The irony that movie could never happen today. Cell phones. It's, it's, it's very true. I mean, it's a little bit of suspension of disbelief even to like for that guy to just like stay in the one corner of Soho that he does the whole movie and not just, you know, try and walk. I mean, New York is not the maybe New York in the mid 80s, not as safe as it is now in Manhattan. But like at a certain point, like it's not that big of an island. Um, yeah. But uh, not far from Soho for a while, like. He could have gotten to the subway very easily. Well, he got to the subway. He just didn't have a dollar fifty cents. And like you said, with cell phones, yeah. you got Uber, you got credit cards. Like it wouldn't work. It, it would never happen today. But it's a it's a pretty fun movie for its time. The other thing I will recommend, uh, which was a little fresher in our heads the last time Joey was here, because it came out on the same weekend as King of Staten Island, is *The Five Bloods*, which we did talk about here. But in light of the tragic page- passing of Chadwick Boseman last weekend, I want to direct people to watch that movie because I don't know, like, I, I mean, I know some people that just didn't watch it who are movie people and might have just missed it even though people normally watch everything on Netflix. But I honestly think it might be, like, the best of his performances I've seen. That it might be. And I think I, I, Black Panther is my favorite movie of 2018, but I, I, funny enough, like, he's probably asked to do less than just about every other actor in that movie, even though I do like his performances, T'Challa. And I think that, and I watched Get On Up for the first time this weekend because I just, I'd never gotten around to it and it felt like the right time to do it, obviously. And, like, I think he's, like, acting his ass off in that movie, but it's, 
it wasn't a great movie for me. No, not, not a good movie. And I and Jackie Robinson, it's it's a more stoic performance, and I think it's probably a good performance. But in forty two, but like again, maybe not asked to be as dynamic as he is in Get Up, but like which again, I didn't get on up, which I didn't think is a great movie. Yeah. Whereas like The Five Bloods, I think is a great movie, and he's asked to actually he's actually asked to be more charismatic even than he is in Black Panther, and it's a it's like a true supporting performance that comes in and just leaves a huge impression. So if you're someone that like wants to go back and watch some of his movies to remember him in light of his really unfortunate passing, I just highly recommend going back to watch The Five Bloods because I think he like really stands out and shines in a good movie in a way that like I don't think he maybe did in any of the other movies he made in his unfortunately way too short career so i would speaking of other we've I mean, talked a lot about a lot of netflix movies but it's obviously very accessible because it is a netflix movie and i recommend going back to watch the five floods agreed one of my favorites of the year all right joey before we uh, get out of here uh can you uh where can people find you now because you've like had a big uh, career move since we've last talked to you yeah um i mean you can still find me on social media at joey maggotson facebook twitter Instagram, all that. Um, but yes, I, uh, I'm still for the time being at Hollywood news, probably at least until the end of the year, possibly longer. But, uh, by the time you're, re- you're listening to this, hopefully, and if not shortly thereafter, I, uh, I have, uh, launched a website. I am the founder and editor and owner and God of, <laughs> uh, of awards radar. Um, kind of picking up where the award circuit left off similar idea. Um, just, this time it's uh it's my stewardship so um it will be up hopefully by the time you're listening to this if not if uh the technical gods have not cooperated shortly thereafter um there will be there is an instagram at awards radar there's twitter at awards radar (laughs) there is no content on either right now but feel free to uh give it a follow it'll it will tell you what's going on but yeah i have a i have a staff there's uh several former award circuit writers, some very recent ones, um, some from the earliest days. There is a, there's at least one or two who, uh, remember when it was the Oscar Igloo. So, uh, I, uh, I haven't said the names yet. I'm kind of waiting, but there are people who, who like the award circuit, who know the history of that site, who I think will be very, uh, pleased that I've conned these people into helping <laughs> Well, that's that's a really exciting tease. I only kind of first learned about Award Circuit in 2015, and so you guys had already been around for what, seven years at that point or so. So, I, you know, I I really enjoyed listening and reading to everything there. But as I kind of saw you guys doing some of the things where you kind of wrapped up and said goodbye to the site, I, you know, it, it kind of put into perspective just how you know how much a lot of that community had been with you far before the far far before i started reading the site or listening to y'all's podcast so it's kind of cool and i highly recommend everyone go you know follow all the accounts that joey just mentioned there because it'd be it seems like the kind of thing that'd be cool to get in on the ground floor of because uh if joey's trying to you know do his own thing but at the same time you know put out some of the same type of content that they did at award circuit and foster that same kind of community it'd be the kind of thing that'd be cool to be a part of from day one because it was obvious that uh, a lot of award circuit meant a lot to a lot of people so uh everyone go follow joey there uh, as usual, I'm on Twitter at Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. The podcast Twitter is RewindMoviePod at gmail.com, and the podcast Twitter is RewindMoviePod. So coming up next, I think we're going to have an episode on Mulan with uh, both Maya and Joe, Maya being our uh, our normal Marvel correspondent, but also very into Disney, and Joe being our usual animation correspondent. So uh, it'd be fun to bring both of them together to talk about uh, – Disney's newest uh, live action remake, which uh, 
I, I'm looking forward to watching, even if I'm going to pay a lot of money to watch it, because um, that, that's what you got to do right now for to watch these things. So I've seen it. Do, do, do you have a, a, a thing you can tease to say anything about it? It's pretty good. Uh, I don't know that I'd want to pay $30 for it, but for free, I, I quite enjoyed it. Oh, there, there, there you go. But I, I think, I think uh, plenty of parents all over the country are going to pay and not hesitate to do so because people are stuck yeah. at home. And if Trolls, if Trolls World Tour made a bunch of money, I can only imagine how much Mulan is going to make, even if people kind of turn their noses up when they first heard that $30 figure. I don't think parents are going to hesitate to put it on for the kids, you know? They are. Well used to giving Disney more money than they should. <laughs> there we go. Uh, thanks again to Joey for joining me. Uh, hopefully Joey will come back and uh, awards are his bread and butter. So hopefully he'll come back whenever award season actually gets underway and talk about an awards movie with us. And we'll look forward to that. Stay tuned for what's coming up next. But thanks to thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Sure thing.